War on Savings, Lessons from the Joker, Responding to a Listener, and More Crazy Irish Politics. Irish man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This, of course, is the show where you come for the accent and you stay for the principles. And we have a jam-packed show for you today. And I want to start today's show by talking to you about something you are going to hear about in very few places, if anywhere else in the landscape in America. And it's a very important issue because it's an economic issue that affects each and every one of you. And that is the current administration and the left and everyone who's running in 2020, deliberate war on savers. One of the reasons that I have my philosophies and how I act and how I believe and what I believe is because I believe if you have a life, it's up to you to make the most of what you will. And that if you do things, good or bad, you should, you know, reap those rewards, benefits, or or sufferings. What I see through socialism around the world, what I see through big government, what I see through totalitarianism as it's growing around the world is so many people, so many average people have their fate laid out for them, not by their own choices, not by their own, you know, how they act or how they, you know, think. It's by government. When you have economics, basic economics and free market economics is all about you. It's all about the individual. The power is in your hands. There is no king. There is no monarch. There is no big government over you saying, hey, we have all these policies and our influence and our decisions can hurt you or make you. This idea of America is that you succeed or fail on your own. For me, when I hear people talk about fairness, when I hear people talking about equality, I honestly go, the most fairest, equitable system that man has ever known is the idea of freedom and of free markets. But what you're seeing right now by every administration, and this is not an attack on Donald Trump, but he is not making the situation better. In fact, he, if he got his way, he would make the situation a lot worse. But also what you're hearing, what you heard this week in the debate stage by all those Democrats, all one million Democrats who are like, hey, I'm moderate. No, you're not. Hey, I'm moderate too. No, you're not. But what you're seeing is the reaction to an attack on savers. So let me go through some of the policies with you. And I'm going to go through these very slowly because I know a lot of people, when I talk about economics, people's eyes glaze over. It's like, oh, geez, more numbers. I'm not going to talk to you about numbers. I'm going to talk to you about exact principles today. Everyone has a cu- been accustomed when they talk about economics to form their opinion, not based on principle, but on what suits them or what benefits them. Let me give you an example. 
right now in Ireland and in different places around the world, you're seeing historic or near historic levels of housing pricing. And everyone goes, oh my God, this is so horrible. Oh my God, do you see how much houses are? Oh my God, how is a young family starting out? You know, maybe they're an individual by themselves, or maybe they're just married with a young kid. How are they ever going to get onto the property ladder? Oh my God, these prices are so bad. And then a narrative forms around them. No one ever looks at the point of going, hey, if you actually have a house to sell, it's a really good time. Especially if you bought it like 5, 10, 15 years ago, or maybe 10 years ago with the last crash, and you're now selling, wow, you, you, you hit the jackpot. But we form these narratives by the media, by culture, by politicians of what's good and what's bad. Not based on any principle, but on what suits us or what suits society. That was just an example. What you've seen over the last 5, 10, 15 years by both Republicans and Democrats is this idea, this principle that low interest rates are good. That this idea where, you know what, if you have cheap money, it's a really good principle. Because everyone always looks, well, you know, why is cheap money good? Because you'll hear all the arguments, well, you know, businesses can borrow more. You know, if you want to start up a business and you have this great idea, John, this is a good thing, right? Cheap money. I have this idea. You know, if I can get a loan for my new business at like 2% or 1.5%, isn't that better for me, you know, to maybe get job growth, to grow the company, maybe to hire a few people, you know, to offer a service to the economy and to the people than if the money cost me 10%? Absolutely. I can see why you think that. Am I saying cheap money is bad? No. What I am saying and what I am making the case right now is, is that philosophy that has been going on for so long has changed and altered how we do business. And it's not businesses how they've altered, it's individuals. In the old days, I'm going to talk, oh, in the old days, back when we were all, when I was in my early 20s. That was so long ago, it actually feels it. But 10, 15 years ago, most people would have the responsibility where you would put money, where you'd get your check at the end of the week or the end of the month and you'd pay out your bills. you pay out your mortgage, your gas, your light, your heat, you buy your food. And then you'd have what we call disposable income left. And out of that, you would put some money into savings. Maybe you put it down the local credit union. Or maybe you had a, a savings bond for your, you know, your kid's education. And you would put it in there. And you would expect a relatively decent amount of return. If nothing else, you would expect the return and the interest to keep up with inflation. When you have cheap money, you don't have that. Effectively, you're losing money if you have a really cheap money to borrow. Why? Because there's no incentive there. So if you have, if you're putting in, let's say, $100 a month into your children's savings account to put them through college, why would you put that $100 in there where knowing in 10, 20 years, if these policies continue, that $100 a month you put in there is maybe only worth $90 or maybe it's worth 95 or maybe 85 Does that make fiscal sense to you? Just straight off the bat. If you put in, if you, if I said to you, give me $100 and then I'll cash you in in 18 years time and I'll give you 95 cents back on the dollar. Would you say, yeah, sign me up, John? Because if you are, get me in touch with me on social media. I have a bridge you want to buy. I have a piece of property. You know what? Actually, scratch that. I have a new business. I have a star to sell you. It'll be all yours. You can do what you want with it. Because that's economic lunacy. 
But you also now have this continuation of cheap money, quote-unquote, where in Europe it's got to the stage where Europe has negative interest rates. This idea that you can go borrow money without paying interest rate on it. How does people make money? Now, why did I start off by saying this is an attack on savers? Because what you have in your 401k, and if you've ever done this, if you have a 401k, you've signed some type of form like this. You have, and let's just keep the number simple. You have 10 grand in your 401k. I hope you have a lot more, but let's just keep the number simple. And what you do is you sit down with your investment and you break up your investments. And you kind of go, I want safe bonds or I want safety or I want more intermediate risk, you know, higher return, higher risk. Or maybe you want to put a chunk of it into a really high risk, high reward strategy. And you break it up into different sections. Historically, the safest one right at the bottom, which has low percentage, low risk, low return, has historically been bonds where people would buy bonds and they would buy them and get 3% over 10 years. Or maybe 4% over 10 years. You don't have that anymore. There is no bond per se. Unless you're taking high risk bonds in places like Greece. Which is not a good thing to do. But in America. If you're buying bonds you're getting 1.5%. Who's going to do that? It's not economic sense. Now people are still doing it. But it's not the average Joe. The the investment people who look after your 401k are now looking for more safer, secure bonds that you can get 3-4%. One of the reasons your stock market is at all-time lies is because nobody's putting money into bonds per se anymore. It's going into the stock market. That's only a small reason. I'm not saying that's why you have hit the historic levels. But there is a reason behind that. So there is no incentive to save your money. There's no incentive just to be fiscally responsible. Now, this has happened under Republican leadership, under Democratic leadership, but it's got even worse. Because last Tuesday, you had the Democrats on the stage. And literally, I didn't watch too much of it because my schedule has just been so crazy, but I've listened to a lot of the clips and I've listened to different parts of it. And it's literally like craziness. I look at the Democrats today and I'm like, who's the moderate... I, I, I'm looking at it just from a, and I'm not a political person, but I'm looking at it kind of going, who, who could appeal to people who voted for Donald Trump in 2016, who voted for Barack Obama in 2012 and 2008? And I'm like, I don't know anybody. How the system has changed, how what they say has changed, what they are talking about has changed. They're now literally ripping the masks off. But they had this discussion on Tuesday, which will destroy savings which will destroy fiscal independence for the average person what that is that policy is called a wealth tax this is historically dangerous it has been tried in several countries and repealed in several countries because it does not work let me explain in case you don't know what a wealth tax is let me explain what it is to you If you believe in saving and fiscal responsibility, it will punish you. Because what happens is, let's just keep the numbers simple. Let's say you earn $1,000 a week. You're in $52,000 a year and you get paid weekly. And let's say out of that $1,000 every week, you pay your rent, your bills, your mortgage, your, your light, your heat, your food. You put a bit away in savings, even though it's not historically a good thing to do right now. You still put a bit away for your, you know, your kids college fund. And then you go, I'm going to save a bit of money in the bank for a rainy day. 
You know, in case that bill comes, in case the car breaks down, or in case you're like me, potentially you've had the week I've had, where the satellite broke, which we fixed, the TV is in the shop, it broke, we don't know what happened to it. Different things are breaking. It's And, you know, all of a sudden, it becomes this unexpected bill. Let's say you had money in the bank just for that rainy fund. You pay your income tax. You pay your sales taxes. A wealth tax is, well, guess what? If you have X amount of money in the bank, we're going to take some of it. We're going to give you a haircut. Now, I know the policy is, and these people, politicians, especially Democrats, are really good at hiding the truth. I won't say they're lying, but they're hiding the truth. And I know people who listen to this will go, well, John, that's not really true what they spoke about on Tuesday. What they spoke about was for millionaires and billionaires. The great thing about our progressive friends is, is where they progress to. These policies always start with millionaires and billionaires. And then all of a sudden, in the blink of an eye over a couple of decades, you're like Ireland. Ireland is very proud to have a progressive tax code. You know, people say, oh, well, it's just the higher taxes for the millionaires and billionaires. No. In Ireland, every cent you earn over 35,000 euros is taxed at 40%. And that's just income tax. There's then pay-related social insurance. There's a USC. There's three taxes on your income over here. If you earn over 35,000 euros, which is about the current exchange rate, about $38,000, you're probably paying close to 50-55% of your money in taxes on everything over it. Does that sound like, you know, for millionaires and billionaires? Or does that sound like eventually, yeah, we start with the millionaires and billionaires because no one says anything about them. And then we progress because that's where we are. We are progressives. We will progress onto those middle class people because we know what we say won't actually do anything. We'll talk about, oh, well, we need to tax the rich. You know, they then pay their fair share and we will pay for everything. Even though study after study after study after study after study after study after study says, you know what? You could tax the rich at 100%. You still ain't paying for all these programs that you're planning. All these goodies that you're planning giving out. All these free things, quote unquote. You could tax the rich at 100%. It ain't going to do it. It ain't getting there. The economics don't add up. But what you will have is people will not save their money. Or they'll hide it somewhere or try and hide it somewhere. What is the idea of the government punishing you for being a saver? Why would you do this? What is the incentive to do this? Because all it is is nothing more than a way to control you. This is simply to get more of your money. They don't care whether it works or not. They don't care whether it makes fiscal sense or not. All they care about is getting more of your money. This policy of a wealth tax is a horrible idea. Not only is it a triple tax, not after your income tax, your sales tax, and your wealth tax, but it literally will destroy families because they will not be able to save. Because why would you save? Why would you invest in a bond or a savings account when you know it's not going to be worth the same amount of money through inflation? Why would you put money in the bank or keep money in the bank when you know that at the end of the year or the end of the quarter, whatever way they're going to work this, because they, they're not really releasing a whole lot of details on actual how to make this happen. But this idea of a wealth tax, who's going to have that? Where you just have all of a sudden you go to bed one night with $10,000 and you wake up with 9800 9500 9000 Just a haircut. Because you had to pay your fair share, quote-unquote. 
How is that fair? How many people are going to do that? If you just take that amount, let's say you were lucky enough to have $10,000 in the bank, would you do that? Would you just leave it there to have a haircut one day? Guess what? You don't have that much anymore. Or would you go, you know what? The hell with the government. I'm going to spend it. I'm going to buy a new car. I'm going to buy a new flat screen TV. I'm going to buy a new, I don't know what, whatever it is, a new iPad. And go on a holiday, have some fun, bring my wife out, whatever it is. Which would you choose? The idea of fiscal sense has gone out the window. And if you are listening to me and you're a conservative and you believe in limited government and you believe in fiscal sense, we need to start making the case against why these policies are horrible on both sides of the aisle. If we truly believe, if you are a conservative and you truly believe in the individual, these policies are really bad. And the electric, the elastic band has been stretched and stretched and stretched. Government is now influencing you, hoping you will act to get you not to spend money. Oh, sorry, not to get you, to get you not to save money and to spend everything so that you don't pay these taxes. But also they're looking for more power. But here's the thing. And I know in a week or two weeks where You've had every NBA idiot running around, especially LeBron James. Oh, Daryl Marley wasn't educated on the issue. Yeah, yeah, whatever. He didn't sell his soul like you did. Mind you, actually, he did. He doesn't deserve a lot of credit because he stood down. But you know who's going to this affect this proportionally affect by this well tax? It's sports stars. Now, before you sit there and got to go, oh, John, you're not going to try and make me feel sorry for the sports star, are you? I am going to, a bit, yeah, I'm going to tell you the story. Because I remember about 10, 15 years ago, 10, maybe 15 years ago, I wasn't as quote-unquote conservative. I was still finding where I was and who I was on certain issues. And there were certain things which I didn't attack, but I couldn't defend. And one of the things I used to always go, and this is a Yankee thing and also different sports, where I'd be going, these guys earn so much money. It's literally crippling, you know, the families going to these stadiums. And this is like 15 years ago. Imagine what it's like now, where it's so expensive to bring your kids to ball games. You know, if you're a family and you have two kids, and I'll use my team as an example. If, let's say, I had a wife and I had two kids and I lived in New York, it shouldn't cost a fortune to go to Yankee Stadium. You know, you're getting there. Two, four tickets, three tickets maybe if the wife isn't interested. Then, you know, a beer and a hot dog and, you know, some candy floss for the kids. And then, you know, obviously you got to get your favorite player's jersey. It's It costs a fortune, especially as a family. And then you see all these sports stars who are running around, especially this week, like LeBron James in the NBA, running around kind of go, hey, and earning like millions upon millions of dollars. But I got friendly with this guy in a golf course. He was a member of the same golf club as I did. And we started playing and played in competitions together. And we became really friendly. And one of the things he did, which he didn't want anyone known at the time, was he was big in security. And he used to give private security to famous people. When people would come to Ireland to do, hey, you know, I don't know some of his, can't remember some of his uh, clients, but if they came to like the the big tree arena in Ireland, which is where all the superstars play, you two have played, you know, Coldplay, all the big bands. If you're touring Ireland, you will play the stadium if you're big. And he would literally, you know, be with them. His company would ex- escort them and be their security for the time. 
you know, get them from the airport, bring them to the hotel, mind them, look after them, and get them to the arena and vice versa until they got back on their plane to leave Ireland. That was his job. And I remember saying it to him about the sports thing, and he went, you don't realize what it's like to be a sports star. And I went, look at me. Of course I don't. And he said, the amount of money they have to pay, and I know this because they pay it to me, the first thing you might think of the bill when a sports star earns all these millions upon millions of dollars is the idea that, you know what? I got to pay my taxes. Then I got to pay a security company. And it's little things that add up that you don't even think about. He's like, you know, I mind these big soccer stars who come over here. You know, I mind all fighters. We've minded everyone from superstars in music to fighting to everything. He's like, you know, my wife wants to go look at the shops. If they're big enough, she has to have an escort. The kids want to go to the cinema. They have to have an escort. All these billable hours add up. And he's like, I'm looking at it from my point of view. This is my company. This is my business. It's awesome. The billable hours just keep going up. And it's more to go out than it is to stay in a hotel room. So you have all these billable hours. And then he started talking to me about, you might think all this money they earn is astronomical, which it is. But they have such a short lifestyle, lifespan of a career. You're looking at it from your career where if you're average, you'll start working at 18, your full first full-time job, and you should retire about 65. The average sports star? What is it? 18 to 30? I know in the in Major League Baseball, the average career, which I couldn't believe, I remember researching this a while back, the average career of a baseball player in the Major Leagues is six years. Six years. So you've got to cram all a lifetime worth of earning ability into six years. That's what you've got to do. Now, obviously, if you're smart, you go to college and you have a fallback plan. So when your career ends in sports, you can go do something else. But some people don't have that. So they got to cram all that earning potential in. Now, imagine if you're a superstar and you work really hard and you're like earning millions upon the millions of dollars because you're really good at what you do. And that's what the market says you're worth. And then you have all this money and you have cars and you have a house and you have money in the bank. Because of your reputation, because of your hard work, because of your skill and your talent that you work damn hard to work at, to get, become what you are, to be loved by everyone. Is it fair for some politician then to come along and go, hey, guess what? Wealth tax. Yes, you've paid income tax. Yes, you've earned all these millions of dollars and you paid off millions of dollars because you're rich. And yes, you pay a true consumption in your sales tax. But guess what? You have houses, you have property, you have cars, and you have money in the bank. We're taking some more of us. It doesn't matter whether you like LeBron James or not. It doesn't matter whether you like superstars or not. It doesn't matter whether you like the Yankees or not. This is a principle. Is that fair? Is that right? We need to start speaking out about these issues. Because right now, it's not about sides. It's about principles. And I will always stand for the principles that one of the many principles that made you an exceptional nation. The idea that you have a God-given right to pursue your happiness and keep the fruits of your labor. What you're seeing right now is that is under attack. Who will respond? The show is released.
released every Saturday at 12 noon Eastern. We're on all major platforms. We're on SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, OmniFM, PlayerFM, Spotify, CastBox. You name it, we're there. Search for Freedom's Disciples. Subscribe. Also, if you happen to listen on iTunes, which is becoming our biggest um, listening platform, please leave us a rating and review. It helps the algorithm. It helps new people find our show. And that's what we're all about on this show, getting a message out there, a principal message out there, to for everyone to hear. I want to talk to you about something that is not usually my forte, but it's something I think is very apt, especially in today's culture. Last week, I went to see The Joker. And I'm not going to give you a movie review, and I'm not going to give you a lot of spoilers. But one of the reasons I went to see it is, if if you know me, I don't go out a whole lot. You know, it's gym, golf, work, that's it. And I just don't go out very much. And I saw the reviews. I'm a big sort of comic action book hero, and I normally wait for them to come out on TV or on Netflix, and then I'll watch them. But because of all the outrage that was going on, and I saw it in the American media because I spent a lot of time on American media, but I also saw it in Irish media. Oh my God, this is this movie is so violent. This this movie should be banned. This this movie is horrible. This movie. How did this movie get made? Oh my God. And I have this thing inside of me where it's, you tell me I can't do something or I shouldn't do something. I have this urge to do it. I don't know what it is. It's just, it's the inner child in me, shall we say. But I went to see it. And I think there's a lot of things we can discuss about them. I think there's a lot of things that we can learn about them, especially in today's society. The first thing is, if you want to go see the movie, if you haven't seen it yet, I highly recommend it. Take that with a pinch of salt. I really, really enjoyed it. But without going too much into spoilers for you, it is a very uncomfortable movie to watch. It is very uncomfortable to watch, but not for the reasons everyone says. It is not that violent. I dare say I saw two... I, you know, as typical, when you go to the movies, you go, you have 15 minutes of previews and of advertisements before the movie. I would say I saw 10 times more violence in the 15 minutes of previews than I did in the whole Joker movie. What I find hilariously frustrating with our colleagues in the media is they just decide to hate on something. They decide to jump on a bandwagon. And then other people jump on the bandwagon because it becomes cool to hate on the Joker. Oh, the Joker, that's so violent. It's so bad. No, it's not. There was more violence in... I saw two uh, previews for two movies. One was Zombieland. Everyone laughed. They were killing zombies. It's a new movie with Woody Harrelson in it. And then the other one was Terminator. Literally, there's a scene in the Terminator in this new preview that I saw where a person, I'm not going to reveal who it is because of the spoilers, jumps on top of a robot and literally starts shooting an automatic rifle in its face and does not stop. That, in that one, two, three second scene, had more violence than the Joker. That's how unviolent this movie is. But I will say this, it is uncomfortable to watch. And I know why. But the media will not admit this. The lesson that you have, or the lesson I came out with when I watched the Joker, is it's uncomfortable because there is no good guy. There is no Batman to cheer in this story. There is no Chief Gordon 
to cheer for. It's just a movie about the Joker. And for a good chunk of the movie, you do feel sorry for him. You do feel sorry for him. Not at the end, but you do feel sorry for him. And that is very uncomfortable, especially if you know the story. And even if you don't know the story, even if you've just like, hey, I think I know Batman. And you like, hey, the Joker's a bad guy, right? Yeah. And you're sitting there watching, I feel sorry for this guy. Wow, do I feel bad for this guy. And that makes you, I think if you're normal, makes you feel very uncomfortable. It kind of makes you go, why am I feeling sorry for the Joker? This is not normal. I shouldn't, I should want the Joker to die and get beaten up because I, I want Batman to win. Yeah! But there's no Batman to cheer for. But I think in today's society, there is a very valuable lesson to watch with the Joker. Now, fully, the full declaration, I know this is a made-up story. I know it's Hollywood at its best, blah, 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 blah. But there are some lessons that Hollywood can teach us, especially if they're subtly done right. And if you go see the Joker, what you will see, I believe, is the story of a lot of people on social media today and the impacts of social media. And what you'll see is a lot of people, how we treat others in society. Because what you see is the story of the Joker. Now, I want to be very crystal clear when I say this, because I don't want to get destroyed for the wrong reasons. What you see in the story of the Joker is a lot of people, the Joker, and a lot of people treat him badly. Like there's one scene, this is not a spoiler, it's not key in the in the story. But literally he's, you know those guys that you see out like everywhere on the streets and they're waving a sign trying to get you to go into a business? You know, free watches, free food, fortune teller. You know, they're sitting on the street and they have to do all the fancy designs and they dress up in sometimes outlandish clothing. Well, literally there's a scene in the movie where he's doing this, this is his job. He's trying to get you into a closing down sale in a store. And he has this big sign and he's flipping it and he's doing different things. And these kids come along. And take the sign. And then he runs after them and then they beat him up. There's a lot of those events. What you see on social media today is not people taking someone's sign and beating them up. But we verbalize beat everyone up. Where we just try and destroy people. Where we try and bring people to their knees. Where we get some enjoyment out of getting them. This idea of, let's get the other side. Let's troll the other side. Now, am I saying that all of a sudden, you know, if you do this to a lot of people and that some person has it done, you turn into the Joker? No. I'm not saying that it's not even close. There is no justification for what the Joker did. But there is a very lesson for life in this. In that, you know what? Maybe we just need to look at how we treat each other. We need to have an honest look about how we treat each other. Because each of us has pivot points in our life. And at any moment, we are capable of great good and great bad. There's a good John and a bad John. We are capable of both. Now, how should we act as a society? Should we be trying to get people to reach their highest greatness? Or should we be pushing them into the corner until they snap at us? till they bite us? Until they attack us. But I also want to take this one step further. And I want to talk about what the media said about it. Because. Honestly. Let's just use the logic of the left for a minute. You know. If you look at me. And if you've ever seen a picture of me. It's it's clear who I am. 
You know, the media and Democrats and leftists all want to go around running around saying, Hey, I need a safe space. Honest question. Where's my safe space? Where is my safe space? You know, I am sick to death of this victimhood status that's going around in culture right now. Everyone wants to be a freaking victim. And not only is that what people want, but we're enabling people to be victims. It's getting to the point where no one can say anything. It's getting to the point where even comedians have been tried, hey, you can't say that. I saw a clip from the debate the other night where they were talking about Dave Chappelle. Kudos to Dave Chappelle for being brought up in a democratic debate. How amazing is that? But, oh, you know, you got to be careful because words have meanings and, and sometimes people get hurt by them. I say this as someone who is not skinny. I have been the butt of fat jokes my whole life. Are they fun? No. Am I the first person to for when a comedian makes a fat joke? Because no one ever gets outraged about a comedian doing a fat joke. Should that comedian say it? I don't know. That's up to the comedian. And it's up to the people who pay money. Should that comedian be silenced? No. 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 But where's my safe space? I say this as a white person. Where's my safe space? Because I'm blamed for absolutely everything, especially if you're any person of color. Oh, you're white. And? It just happens to be the pigment of my skin. Oh, you're the problem with the... How am I the problem with the world? Oh, well, slavery. Yeah, I, I have never owned slaves. Oh, well, you're still the problem. You're part of the the, 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 the culture that was we were all brought up in. You have white privilege. Where's my safe space? I also, this might shock you, I also have a penis and two testicles, which means I'm a man. Yes, I said it. I'm identifying as a man, and I am also biologically a man. There is nothing I can do to change that. Unless I want to go snip snip, which this might shock you. I don't. But I'm part of the patriotic. Oh, you're a man. That's a man's world. We got to take you. What is my safe space? I'm a Christian. Oh, well, you're even worse. You hit the trifecta, baby. You're white, you're male, and you're a Christian. Oh, you, you, let's stone you to death right now. Where's my safe space? Hey, liberals, you want to go around talking about safe spaces and don't hurt my feelings? Where's my safe space? Where is my safe space? This is seriously getting to a point where we're just all just going to balkanize. Is that what is good for the world? What? How should we judge people? How should we seriously judge people? What is healthy? How is it healthy to judge someone by the pigment of their skin? And I say this on all sides, whether good or bad. Hey, you're white, you're awesome. No, I'm not. Hey, you're white. You're part of the superior master race. No, I'm not. I'm Judge me on the content of my character, not the color of my skin. Actually means something to me. How, how about that? You know, I love how our friends on the left and the right and all top and bottom of politics love. Hey, we all love Martin Luther King. But do we do it? Has this dream been achieved? But going back to the Joker movie. All the outrage about this movie was incredible. But it was attacked for quote-unquote giving rise to the incels. Incels. 
I love these new terms. Ever who sits in these, I would just love to sit who sit, who knows and sits in the ivory towers. Who goes, you know what we need? We need a new word. You know what? White isn't doing it in the polls anymore. In the poll testing words, we can't get any more hate for white people. We can't get any more hate for for males. We can't get any more hate for Christians. We need a new word. What word shall we use? Oh, that's right. Incels. What's incels stand for? Involuntary celibate. He was giving rise to involuntary celibate men. Seriously? Honestly? Can, can, what, where do you go with that? How, how can we actually bring reason and logic back to a discussion where that's where we're at? Incels. It gave rise to the incels. Really? Go watch the Joker movie. It didn't. It did not paint the Joker in any way of a flattering movie. Point. I didn't leave leave that theater, and it was a pretty full theater of maybe a couple of hundred people. I didn't know anyone, and I looked around because I was interested to see people's reactions. Because Irish people are usually more led by the media. First of all, I was surprised to see the theater full, which was a good surprise. But I was watching people as they left. There wasn't anyone sitting there going, you know what? Gee, that Joker was a good guy. Gee, that Joker is my hero. I heard a lot of people say, geez, that was a sad movie. It was a it was a shocking end. I'm not gonna give any spoilers away, don't worry. It was a bit of a shocking end. Gee, I wonder what movie what's gonna happen in Joker 2. These are some of the comments I heard. I didn't hear anyone. Gee, I think the Joker's a good guy. Gee, the Joker is my new hero. I wanna be just like him when I grow up. Didn't hear that at all. The third thing was it was apparently offensive. Offensive to disabled people and to people who have mental illness. Look, if you want to be a victim, and I say this to anyone who has any issues, if you want to be a victim, there is countless opportunities to be a victim. But let's just say they're true. Let's just say it wasn't sensitive to people with mental health issues. Let's have an honest discussion about this. How do you want to raise your kids? Or how should we talk to people who have mental health issues when they see this? Should we say, you know what, don't let this bother you, overcome it, ignore it? Or should we say, hey, be a victim, play play the victim, be all upset, let this movie get on top of you? Which is the healthiest outcome? Which is the healthiest way of dialogue? Honest question. How should we deal with this as society? Because right now, everyone wants to be a victim. Is that healthy? Is that good? Is that how you want to raise your kids? Because if it is, everyone, and I mean everyone, wouldn't get out of bed in the morning if they wanted to be a victim. Is there anyone who taught, who lived this, or knew anyone who lived this, that taught school was awesome, who didn't get picked on for some reason at some point in time? Oh, you're too tall, you're too short, you're too skinny, you're too fat, you have freckles, you have pimples, you have zits, your hair's too short, your hair's too long. Hey, you're curly, hey, you're a ginger, hey, you're this, hey, you're that. Is there anyone who didn't go through that? Kids are great, kids are also horrible, they will find any reason to pick on you. Kids are equal opportunists when it comes to hating on other people. They will hate on kids for any reason. Is there any kid that you know went, hey, I went through school. I went through hall of school. I don't know what you all have. I know you have high school over there. But, you know, all those 12, 13 years of high school, I never got called one name. 
I never got bullied once. Now, when you were bullied, how were you told to respond? Or how would you respond now? Would you say, yeah, let that bully get on top of you? That bully, you know when that bully called you that name? They were absolutely right. You sh- you know what? You- do you know what? If I-, if I were you, do you know what I would do? I'd go into your bed and cr- curl into a little ball and cry your eyes out. And then don't get up tomorrow because you know what? Pumpkin, sweetheart, poo-hoo. You know what? It's going to be a tough life. Just don't bother going out tomorrow because you know what? If you go out tomorrow, they'll call you the same name again. You know what? Just, just, just don't ever talk to anyone. Is that how you'd act? Or you'd go, you know what? Don't mind that bully. That bully's opinion is irrelevant. You are bigger than them. Which up, which way do you want to go? Do you want to empower people or not? But then this also brings me back to your culture. Because all these victimhood statists who want to be a victim, who want to be outraged, one of the big stories I saw this week was Ben Shapiro. The fact that no one reported on this was amazing. The one thing he said when he stood up to Beto O'Rourke. The idea that you have a right to freedom of conscience. When he, you saw this clip, I'm sure everyone has seen it. The first thing he did before he said he'd meet you at the door with a gun, quote-unquote, was he said he'd leave the country. That was his first option. Not, not go with a gun. He had two options. Leave the country or meet you at the door with a gun. Which world do you want to live in? Which world do you want to live in? Do you want a world to live in where you're free? Where you're independent? Or do you want to live in a world where government tells you what to think, how to think, how to behave, and has totally dumbed you down to be a victim? To be nothing more than a pigment of skin? To be nothing more than your gender? Because here's the truth for you, and I can only speak for myself. You know that pigment of skin color I have doesn't define me. The idea I have a penis and two testicles, well, it kind of does define me in some ways, but in many ways it doesn't. If I had a a vagina, I'd still probably think the same things I do. I'm still a crazy Irish guy. I'd just be a crazy Irish chick. It doesn't define my principles. It doesn't define how I treat people. It doesn't define how I act. My character does that. My character does. The idea of, hey, I'm fat, I'm skinny, whatever, doesn't define me. Which do you want to define you? How would you want people to judge you? Because right now, we are living in a culture where everyone wants to be a victim. And no one wants to say, you know what? Don't be a victim. Empower yourself. Better yourself. And go pursue your happiness. I've said something that's made you angry or you like something I said, get in touch with social media. I'm on Twitter at Freedom Disciple, on Facebook, Jonathan Dunn58. I love engagement, you guys. You guys are awesome. During the week, it's I've started this new job and whew, it's crazy and it's physical and I've not been as active as I'd want to be, um, but each week is just hard and in the run-up to Christmas, it is hard, but I do get back to you, especially if you leave me a message. So get in touch. I want to talk to you about something from the heart because there's I'm not going to word this the right way so I apologize in advance but because I'm always conscious of my role 
And maybe my role, I spend more time worrying about my role and what I should say and what I shouldn't say to Americans. And the reason for that is not because, hey, there's some person, some puppet master telling me I can say or can't say certain things. It's not anything to do with that. It's I'm very conscious of the fact I'm not an American. And I'm very conscious of the fact and how I present and how I talk to you guys. There are times I literally want to scream at you guys. But that does nothing in my eyes. There are times I get frustrated and I literally just want to scream, Stop! Stop it! But it's not my role to do that. And I'm very, very conscious of that. So what I try and do is craft an narrative. that one of the reasons, many reasons I talk about principles is to try and break things back to a core level for you guys. To try and get you to think. Because it's not an Irishman as much as you may say you love me and I'm America's favorite Irishman and all these things, which I appreciate. It's not the job of an Irishman to tell an American how to think about America. So I try and craft my narrative to get you guys to think, even if it means you disagree with me. But I'm seeing some people be defeated right now. And I got an email this week. And I want to address a comment I get on a semi-regular basis with this email. Because the answer to both of them is going to be the exact same. And I, as I say, I apologize in advance because I'm not going to word this the best way. So if I get to your safe space, because I might offend you. This email came from someone who said, John, I listen to your show. I love it, but I'm struggling right now. I'm so scared for the future. I listen to you. I listen to Glenn and I listen to Mark. You're the three hosts I listen to. I listen to you talk about the economy. I've listened to you talk about Deutsche Bank. I've listened to you talk about how the Constitution has been destroyed. And I look around at no one else talking about it without the exception of a handful, and I have no hope. That's the email. The comments I get on a semi-regular basis is anytime, and I try my best to avoid the politics of the day. I know I discussed the debate, but I'm not here cheerleading for either side. I'm just talking about principles. But I see this comment about, oh my God, the government, the deep state, Democrats are so bad. And I'm now starting to see this, and I've gotten it from a few people asking me whether I'll support Donald Trump in 2020. Spoiler alert, in case you're wondering, in case you're sitting on the edge of your seat wanting to know that answer, the answer is the same as it's always been. I don't support any politician. I'm here to talk about principles. I'm not an endorsement, nor does anyone care who I endorse. But I've had people say, oh, look, have you seen Elizabeth Warren? Oh, my God. If Elizabeth Warren gets elected, it'll be the end of America as we know it. I'm starting to see this argument because I know 2020 is starting to approach. The answer to both of these is the exact same. You need to understand what you are for. If you have no hope or you're worried about the politics And this is where I'm not going to word things right, so I apologize. You need to read your history. I know you're probably sick and tired of me saying this, and I'm sick and tired of saying it. But this is the truth. There is always something very uncomfortable about me when an American comes to me and says, we can't do something because of this. We can't do this. John, the deep state, we can't overcome it. If Donald Trump can't overcome it, we can't do it. 
We have this problem. Oh my God, Google is so bad. Facebook, Google is in bed with China. I got it. I understand. But you need to read your history. To the person who emailed me, I emailed you back about having no hope. The answer to this is the exact same. The answer is read your history. This idea that Americans can't do something is foreign to the idea of America that we speak about on this show each and every week. If you need inspiration, if you're sitting at home right now and you're struggling, and you're tired, and you're fed up, and you think, oh my God, this obstacle is just so much that we can't do it. If if this obstacle is somehow your Everest, that you will never climb it. Just read some of your history. Read whatever section of American history tickles your fancy. Mine will always be the founding era. Because this idea of America, not only the principles, but the story of, of America. Forget the principles, forget the Declaration of Independence, forget the Constitution, forget the Bill of Rights. You just want to make a history movie about based on true story. This idea of farmers with pitchforks going up against the superpower of the day, the great British army, the Hessians, the Redcoats, where they had guns, where your men and women who fought in the Revolutionary War and the Continental Army had nothing. Sometimes they didn't even have shoes on their feet. They didn't have correct bedding. They didn't have guns, and they sure as hell a lot of times didn't have proper food in their belly. The British armies had shoes, had all the red coats with the with the shiny buttons, had muskets, had food. Hell, they even drank ale and port to keep them warm on the cold nights. This idea of your farmers, all these farmers rising up with no military experience, just, hey, I've been a farmer my whole life, hey, let's go to war, that sounds fun going against the British army who had lots of experience and you won no one would give you a chance but you won if you don't like the founding era if it doesn't tickle your fancy look at any other point in time look at more recent history I know some people go gee John you talk about 240 years ago can you not bring it up to you know modern day era okay I can the cold war you had a president who understood the idea of America. Ronald Reagan did not win the Cold War. Margaret Thatcher did not win the Cold War. Pope John Paul did not win the Cold War. The American people won the Cold War. Because your president understood the idea of America. The idea that man, when it's when they are free, can achieve anything. Because you people are the proof of it. If you're struggling for hope right now, That's where your hope should come from. Because your history, and hey, someone should make a hoodie of this. I did that. That's right. It's on freedomsdisciple.com. America making the impossible possible since 1776. You can look at any point in time in your history, in your short 240 year history. You have done so much. Are you perfect? No. Have you even got close to perfect? No. But no nation has. And here's the spoiler alert, which might bring you back down. It'd be all Debbie Downer on you. No nation ever will be. Because we are run by men. And all man is flawed. But when you talk about principles, there are certain principles that are eternal. 
And that's what your founders did. If you're hurting right now or you're lacking of hope, read your history. Get inspired by your history. Because your history is filled with time and time again of people who are just like you. Who were hurting just like you. Who were fed up just like you. Who thought, you know what? I don't think we can survive this. If you want more recent history, look at World War II. Is there anyone who thought, wow, when you entered World War II, you're going to be the same again? Did anyone think the world, after you dropping the atomic bomb, thought this world would be the safe, decent place? Or is the world over as we know it? Time and time again, through human history and your history, times have been bleak. But it's all about what attitude you want to have. What attitude you want to have. It's similar to what we just spoke about. Do you want to be a victim or do you want to be empowered? Look, I'm not going to lie. I'm not here to sugarcoat it. There's a lot of bad things happening. And there's a lot of bad things about to happen. I'm not here to sugarcoat you and, and say, hey, everything's going to be awesome and everything's going to be swell. And if you just listen to me, every, everything is going to be good. I'm going to take away all your problems. I wish I could say that. It's not true. And if I ever say it, call me a liar. Because it's not true. There is no easy solution. But yet again, if you want the answer, the answer is in your founding documents. I had someone message me this week about Elizabeth Warren and Donald Trump and stuff. Oh my God, Elizabeth Warren, she's going, she's so going to be the nominee. Really? Let's see. It's October. The same way Joe Biden was going to be the nominee. The same way someone else is going to be the nominee before him. The same way Bernie Sanders at one point was going to be the nominee. It's October. Not one vote has been cast. There is no front runner. runner. There's a leader in the polls, but there is no front runner. runner. But let's say it's true. Let's say Elizabeth Warren, you know, digs deep and wins it, baby. And it's, oh my God, America will never be the same again. Oh my God, if she becomes president. Really? Why is it always the next election is the most important? Does this line never get tiring? Because I get tired of hearing it. Do you all get tired of saying it or hearing it as well? You want to know the answer to Elizabeth Warren? And this is going to pee off a lot of Trump supporters. And it's not meant to. You want to know your, why your fears and the solution to Elizabeth Warren not becoming president and not turning America into a socialist nation? Do you know what the solution to that is? Because it is not Donald Trump. The answer and the solution, I hate to say this because I've said it so many times, the solution is not Donald Trump winning in 2020. While that may be the favorable outcome in a human condition, the answer is following your constitution. The beauty of the Constitution, the beauty of Article 2 is it doesn't matter if a socialist wins because Article 2 has no freaking power. You can look at these in a human condition and kind of go, hey, I've got Donald Trump and I've got Elizabeth Warren. Okay, you can choose which is better. You can make that call yourself. And I'm not supporting or I'm not supporting anybody. But I'm here to remind you of your principles. At some point, you have to get back to that point. The answer to all these problems is not yet again another human answer. The answer is it's not Donald Trump. And I'm not saying you shouldn't vote for Donald Trump, but this has not been an ever-Trumper. This is from a principle point of view. 
Every solution that you need is in your founding documents. Every fear that you have right now is answered in your founding documents. Whether it's the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, or the Federalist or Anti-Federalist Papers. Every solution. Every solution. It's just there. you got to read it. But then you also have to do the hard thing. Which, because I have seen this time and time again. I have seen it from politicians, and I've seen it from my colleagues in the media, and I've seen it from people. Your founding principles are, gee, are they easy to say you love them? Oh, I'm a constitutionalist. Oh, I love America's founders. That's the easy part. That's the easy part. You know what the hard part is? The hard part is living those principles. Because when it's your side, quote-unquote, gee, it's a lot of people get silent about principles. Oh, it's our side. Oh, we better not say anything negative about our side. Oh, no, 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 no. You can't say that. That hurts our guy. Oh, you can't talk about that principle. That hurts our guy. Oh, you can't say that. That hurts our girl. Can't say that. The answers are your founding principles. But here's the thing. I have a lot of hope for the future. Because you're starting to see pushback. You're starting to see pushback in entertainment. But we also need a lot more pushback. And that comes from people. If you believe in freedom. If you have any love for the idea of America, the principles, not the country, the principles your founders stood for. Now is the time to be bold. Because what you're seeing around the geopolitical world is absolute anarchy. There are so many bad leaders right now. You know, there used to be an idea where you, you know, the Mount Rushmore idea. You know, you have Mount Rushmore, which has your best presidents, quote-unquote. Even though I disagree with it, let's just go with the principle. You have, you know, 45 men who have ever been president. And you have a Mount Rushmore of the best. The creme de la creme. That's in 240 years. If you were making a Mount Rushmore of terrorists right now, of really bad dudes, you could make an argument that they all live at this point in time. You could make an argument that they are all in existence and in power right now. Look at all the people who believe in totalitarian governments. Look at what you're seeing right now in the media with Syria, with Turkey. All these people are starting to talk about, oh, let's go back to the good old days. And I get slagged and told off and be, you know, an, an old timer and, you know, I don't live in reality when I talk about going back to the old days and talking about the founding principles. That's a bad thing. People on the left go, oh, you're just, oh, you just want to go back to slavery. Oh, we hate you. Yet when it comes to people who are really bad people, who have a track record of doing really bad things, gee, you're all silent on it. Where you have Turkey. Oh, you know what would be a good idea? No, John's a bad guy for talking about founding principles and going back to the idea of, hmm, what's that? Oh, yeah, freedom, limited government, and just leaving people the hell alone. That's bad. John's a Nazi. John's John's a terrorist. John's a right winger. But yet you have Erdogan in Turkey who's saying, you you know what? We need to go back to the Ottoman Empire. Oh, let's be silent on him. Let <laughs> who said what? Oh, nothing. Just, 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 just. <laughs> let's just see. Keep singing. Nah, let's just keep chanting John. People like John, a right winger, because they're the problem in this world. You have people absolutely silent on China. China is one of the worst, if not the worst country and government that has ever existed known to man. 
I love people who, oh, never again is now. Let's, let's all talk about Hitler being a bad guy. Gee, where's the, yeah, Hitler was a bad guy. Hitler's a really bad guy. Never should be another Hitler. But how about the guy, you know, Mao? Not remember him? Chairman Mao? Killed lots of millions of people? How about Paul Posh? How about Stalin? How about Lenin in Russia? Any comments on them? No? Silence? If you believe in freedom, now's the time to stand up. It's always a good time to stand for freedom, but right now it's needed. But also I will say this. If you're someone who is motivated purely by winning, now is the time to embrace freedom. Now is the time to embrace freedom. Because what you're seeing around the world, and even from our friends on the left, who are on the on the ground, not the media, not the politicians, but the people, everyone's kind of uncomfortable with the NBA in China. Why? Because they know it's wrong. Now is the time to give bold answers. We do face major problems. Donald Trump's going to have problems. Donald Trump is not going to have an easy ride in 2020 with the media. That's just the way life is. Donald Trump is going to have problems with the deep state. You can get on board of that. You can support him. You cannot support him. That's up to you. That's a personal choice. We're going to have problems with the economy. We're going to have problems with government. What are the solutions? The solutions is the idea of freedom. The idea of freedom. Of leaving people alone and don't take their stuff. We can do this. We must do this. Because here's the really terrifying thing. Tyranny has been a constant in this world. If you were to draw a map of you know what the landscape and the geopolitical landscape is at all different points in time in this world, tyranny has always existed in some shape or form. In fact, it's been the majority for the people who have ever lived on this planet. Freedom is only a relatively new idea. But what you're seeing with big companies like Google... And Google made some more bad news this week. They got further in bed with the Chinese government, which I didn't even think was possible. But yet again, Google proved me wrong, and they did it. With this totalitarian state, with this idea of tech, where we're able to monitor everything you do, where are the undergrounds, railroads of freedom? Where are the people who are going to share the voices? Where are the people who are going to stand for freedom? If things get really bad, who are going to have to do it privately? How can you do it? You can be monitored everywhere. If freedom dies right now, it won't just die for 70 or 80 years. It could die forever. I don't care what you're motivated by. So I'm going to speak to each of your motivations. If all you're motivated by is winning, freedom is the winning message. If all you're motivated by is self-preservation... Hear this. Tyranny is coming. Just look around at the world. It is in chaos. What is the answer? What is the antidote to tyranny? Is it be been more benevolent? Is it to be a, a kinder, gentler form of socialism which your voices spoke about prior to Ronald Reagan becoming president? Oh, we just need to accept a, a kinder, ge- more gentle version of communism from Russia. Or is the answer... Mr. President, tear down this wall and the principles of freedom. Or if you're older and you're more worried about, gee, what kind of world are my kids and grandkids going to live in? Now is the point in time where you need to start speaking about freedom. Because here's the sad thing, and here's the thing that troubles me personally a lot. 
is I love doing what I do. I am so honored and privileged to step behind this microphone each and every week and talk to you. And talk to you honestly. No BS. I'm not trying to sell you anything. I'm not trying to make money. I'm doing this on my own dime to talk to you about the country I love, the principles I love. But this world and the technology that we have is incredible. But if it's got into the wrong hands, it can stifle anything. It does not take much for my voice to be silenced. It does not take much. It changes the algorithm. Or maybe the Irish government says, you know what, gee, people who believe in no government or freedom of government or limited government or any type of freedom, we need to silence them. Cut off their internet. Cut off their microphone. What happens then? You cut off my microphone. What happens if you cut off other people's microphone? Where are you going to find freedom? Now is the time. Now is the time to understand. To understand the world we live in but also to make the case for freedom. Because as I said to you, and I've said to you so many times, it all boils down to one question. If not you, who? If not now, when? up today's show by talking to you about the impact of government and the impact of how things can go crazy real quickly and how unintended consequences by government politicians can make problems worse. What you have right now is an ideological battle that is very lopsided what you have on one side is not the left or the right. What you have is a fundamental question. It's a question that is very simple. Who is responsible for the problems our world faces? And underneath that you have a second question. Who is best placed to solve the problems the world faces? You see, everyone wants to make this about left or right or pro-Trump or never-Trump or Republicans and Democrats, it's not that that's irrelevant. Because a lot of those answers to those two questions boil down to the same thing. They boil down to, hey, guess what? Donald Trump is the answer. Elizabeth Warren is the answer. The Democrats, Nancy Pelosi is the answer. Republicans and Paul Ryan, or not Paul Ryan, he's gone. Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell are the answer. Historically, this world has only ever known government as the answer. Whose responsibility is it? Let me break this down to you from a European and a non-American point of view. What type of person are you? If you believe it's government's responsibility to deal with a major crisis, to deal with poverty, to deal with homelessness, whatever it is, how does this make you feel? Because this is what people do. We have this problem in society. Let's just use homelessness because I'm going to talk about that in a second. Homelessness is a problem. But I'm here's what I'm going to do. I know it's a problem. I recognize it's a problem. I'm going to identify it as a problem. I'm going to verbalize it as a problem. But then I'm going to vote you to saw in, into power, to solve it. Does that make you seem like a good person? If you're going to abdicate your responsibility? 
Oh, yes, it's this big problem. Wow, we have this big problem in society, baby, but you're going to fix it. And then you have people who literally go door to door begging for that power. Oh, you got to elect me, baby. I'll solve your problems. I'll solve all your problems. Is it their responsibility to solve the world's problems? Is it? But then you also then have the practical, well, I would argue it's principled. It's also result-based. Which form of government has solved poverty? Name one plan, one government plan that solves poverty. In Ireland, in England, in Europe, in America, in Australia. Name any country. I know our friends in the Democratic Party are all Norwegian-style socialism. Name the government plan that solves poverty. Because the only plan I have ever seen that solves poverty, quote-unquote, that's involved government, and it hasn't really solved it, is places like North Korea, where everyone is equally poor, where you are subservient to your imperialist leader. And the only reason you're equal is because you're all equally poor. That solves poverty. If everyone has the same amount of money, there is no poor. There is no... Well, there are always rich people in these places. You know, always those people who are closest to the leader always happen to, you know, eat well and have full bellies. It's all the average people who don't have any money. But there is no poverty in those places because everyone is poor. But what is the result? What is the results-based outcome that solves poverty? A government program? To be a victim, to be in part, to be, you know, independent? To, to be in power, to go solve your own problems? Which is the, which is the answer? Independence or dependence? What I see around the world so often is everyone always wants to abdicate the power and tell them, it's your job to fix it. And we always point the finger at government. Why? Because there's a story right now I want to talk to you about, because you all love the Irish politics that I spoke to you about last week, because, I don't know, you all seem to like Ireland for some reason. It's a great country. I strongly recommend you to visit, to live. Eh, There's a reason I wanted to leave for a long time. Let's leave it at that. But there's this picture that went viral in Ireland. And it even got picked up by UK media and world media. And it's a really sad picture. It's a picture of a five-year-old boy sitting in the streets outside a homeless shelter about 10 o'clock at night eating off a piece of cardboard. It is a truly troubling picture. And this got shared, and the response to it was also typical. The response was, how can Ireland call itself a decent nation, a compassionate nation, when this happens? How can Ireland, one of the richest nations in a relative sense in the world, have this on their streets? This is inhumane. This is barbaric. All the media in Ireland and all the people who are like big in the, you know, big in the culture have all been saying the same thing. Let's call pressure on the housing minister of Ireland to solve this problem once and for all. Because, sir, you haven't taken this problem seriously enough. Hmm. Amazing that, isn't it? We always look to government. 
You know, the one comment I didn't see, and this is an indictment of pretty much Christianity around the world, but Ireland's a Catholic nation. I didn't see any comments in that post going, hey, what's the Catholic Church doing? Hey, why isn't the Catholic Church doing more? Because we've been so ingrained to just any problem that we see in society, government has to fix it. And then politicians see that as an opportunity to take more power and gain more money for themselves. How do you solve homelessness? Can you solve homelessness? How do you do it, though? Do you get a government program to... Do politicians need to sit in a dark room and all sides come together and we bring up this plan and this bill and then we'll vote on it and then poof, homelessness is gone. Or do we need to address society and kind of go, you know what? Opportunity is what the world needs. We need this idea where, you know, we all have opportunity. Where we have this opportunity to pursue our happiness. But also to keep the fruits of our own labor. Do we have that opportunity? How about we let people keep them, their fruits of their own labor, and not tax them at 40% on every dime over 35,000 euros? But here's the problem. is So many politicians will look and go, yeah, we need to solve this problem. We need a new law, baby. The anti-homelessness law or some, they'll come up with a fancy name and, hey, how could you possibly be against the anti-homelessness law or end all homelessness law where we'll all come together? How could you possibly be against it? Because we can include any type of crap in there and you can't vote against it. Because what? Are you, are you telling me you're going to go against the end the homelessness law? But here's where laws can have unintended consequences. There's a, person i know through a friend who lives in a very elderly neighborhood and like any other elderly neighborhood everyone comes to a not sorry i shouldn't say everyone a lot of people will come to a point in time in their lives where they can't live independently and i got told this story by a friend so it's secondhand information but it is true i verified it this person lives alone she's a lady and her husband died a couple of years ago. And over the couple of years, I, I don't know what age she is. I think she's late 80s, maybe early 80s. I'm not sure. But she lives alone and she started to go downhill. You know, when you get to mid eight, early mid 80s or late 80s, whatever this lady is, it's, you know, you have a few illnesses. And she lives alone. And she's had a few trips to the hospital. She's had a few falls and she's had a few different issues. Well, what happens with that person? Well, invariably, you know, a common decision usually comes when you start having illnesses and issues at home and you're, you're not quite capable of living independently by yourself. You know, you might want to start thinking about a nursing home, to which this family did. And this family decided, you know what, while it may not be for everyone and it, it may not be, you know, the best decision, it's the only decision we have. So they decided to put their mother in a nursing home. Why am I linking this to a five-year-old boy homelessness on the streets because laws have unintended consequences one of the things that you do over here one of the laws that was passed because politicians always get it right is when this lady goes into a nursing home or if she's already there her house is now empty houses two three four bedroom house nobody there nobody in it but because she's in a government-run 
nursing home. They can't sell the house, nor can they rent it out. So in this elderly neighborhood, there's quite a few houses stretched out over a street of a couple of streets of maybe three, four, five hundred houses that are empty because the occupants occupants are single, widowed, and are now living in nursing homes, and they can't do anything about them. This is what happens when you have too much government. This is what happens in this world where we always look to politicians to solve problems. Invariably, through their... Let's just give them the benefit of the doubt. I'm not saying there's any callousness or any malice involved. It's just through pure involvement. Things get screwed up. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Let's say they're acting with the best interest possible. This is what happens. Laws get complicated. They contradict each other. And they cause unintended consequences elsewhere. Ireland has a homelessness problem. Everyone's going, oh, the housing minister, you need to do more. You need to help end homelessness. It's your responsibility. But yet on the flip side, with laws that are already passed, and no one's calling for a repeal of this law either. No one's saying, hey, we need less government. Because that sets a bad precedent. But let's have this law where we need to end homelessness but yet old people who are now living in nursing homes they can't do anything with the house so they're just sitting idly by isn't it great people ask me why are you so passionate about the idea of america because i live in a country that is run by politicians and run very badly and that is not an indictment or saying they act with malice i'm sure some of them do because that's what politicians do But Ireland is no different to any other nation in the world where it is run by really bad people. And in my opinion, and my ideology, and my fate says they don't have the power or the right to do it. But also their success and their failure says they should not do it. The answer is the idea of freedom. We have every solution that we need right now. Every solution that we need right now we face major problems hell yeah we do we face a lot of them china russia turkey syria isis iran you look at the world there's a lot of problems north korea there's a lot of problems economic issues but here's the thing guys and girls we have every solution we just have to understand and ask ourselves whose responsibility is it to fix the world Is it the government's responsibility? Is it Donald Trump's responsibility? Or is it our responsibility? And then ask ourselves, who is best placed to fix it? Right or wrong, my ideology and my my opinion says the people. Give the power to the people. Let them innovate. Let them be free. Let them dream. Let them imagine a brighter tomorrow. And while Google may be a problem, how do you solve Google being a problem? Do you put them out of business through government? Nope. Do you condemn them or regulate them out of business? Nope. Do you put them in front of a, a Senate or a House hearing committee and say, you got to answer these questions? Nope. You do it through the free market. You do it through where you don't have any obstacles to take on Google. Where you free all the regulations to say, you know what, if you want to go be the next Google, go be them and be better. Go put Google out of business. And then you take the best parts of Google and you make it your own. That's what the free market says. 
that idea of if you are able to dream it, you can do it. That is what I believe solves all these problems. You want to solve poverty? Unleash people. But also encourage them that if you are passionate about homelessness being wrong, don't look at the government, don't look at a politician and say, you fix it. No, you fix it. If you're passionate, you fix it. And I'm only going to speak to Christians right now. Because there's a new report in America, this through the Pew Research poll that came out this week, late this week, said that Christianity's down in America. If you're a Christian, it's time to do some self-reflection. It's time to do some serious self-reflection and go, what impact are we having on this world? And I say this very boldly. We have the answers. We have the example of what we're supposed to be. Are we really sharing it? Are we sharing his example? Are we living his promise? Because right now, and this is like, I'm saying this to Christians, I'm not targeting Catholics, Protestants, Mormons, or any of them. I'm saying this to Christians. Are we really living that promise? And are we really doing what we're supposed to do? These are some questions I'd ask you to think about this weekend. I know this, some of this is heavy. But here's the thing. Yet again, I'm going to repeat and finish up with this saying. If not you, who? If not now, when? Because there is no tomorrow. Tomorrow's too late. When, when you, what country has to rise up and say, hey, we want to kill a load of people before you go, okay, now I'm going to talk about freedom. Who has to be nominated for president by the Democrats for you to stand for freedom? What has to happen? Are you going to just say, ah, it's only 2020. Trump has to win. It's the most important election of our lifetime. And I'll start talking about the constitution and freedom in 2024. Is that what you're going to do? What that means, or what proof have you know you get to 2024? Or we'll talk about it when Elizabeth Warren's president. You want to wait till then? If not now, when? If you believe in freedom, now is the time to be bold. And let me say this. If you believe in freedom, now is not the time to be painting in black and white and little imaginary lines, and been very, you know, humble and quiet. Freedom doesn't do well in black and white. Freedom does not do well in little join-the-dots etsy sketches. Freedom is at its best when it's painted in bold pastels. Because the idea of freedom, that message of freedom, is as beautiful and as powerful as the American flag. It's not a black and white flag. It is a beautiful flag with a hidden meaning in every aspect of that flag. Just something to think about this weekend. We finish up the way we do each and every week by saluting your police, your firefighters, your emergency personnel, and your vets. You know the men and women who right now are serving, making your place a safer and better nation? Let's join them serving. Let's not look for us. Let's not go, hey, what about me? Let's be selfless and let's work together for a brighter tomorrow. And lastly, I salute you, the great American people. Because if you haven't got this through the monologues through today's show, America is great because Americans are good. I don't look at your nation as great because Donald Trump is president. I don't look at your nation as great because the Republicans hold the Senate. I look at you as great because of your ideas and your people. Until next Saturday at 12 noon, you all have a great week, and God bless each and every one of you.
freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network.